0: You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. And we're live. How are you people? Welcome to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, episode 136 recorded as always live on a Tuesday night at 8 o'clock GMT on the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel. And you're listening to the dulcet tones of Matt Phillips, creator of and host of the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Um, so yes, here we are, a new month. We had our Ask Tim uh, first of the month session uh, last week, and that was a chance for a soft tissue therapist to ask Tim Allardyce, Dicey, Um, founder of rehab my patient any questions at all to do with the industry but this now is the start of a three-part focus on mental health and learning disability Uh, very excited this month a lot of people have been asking we've we've dabbed in the topic here and there in the past episodes and indeed our um, guest for tonight james chapman has been on the show i think three times now as well as being fantastic speaker at therapy expo last november But this month, the rest of this month, is now devoted to mental health and learning disability and improving our knowledge of it as soft tissue therapists. Um, And just to let you know, as it's the first one. Like I say, we're going to have James Chapman of allaboutthemind.com, instructor for MHFA, Mental Health First Aid. He's going to be with us very shortly. Then next week, which will be February the 21st, episode 137 is going to be with Alistair Beverley of theldphysio.com where the LD stands for learning disability. We're looking forward to that. I really recommend that you guys, if you listen to the podcast, try and come along to that. Um, If it fits into your time zone and at eight o'clock on a Tuesday, you can be free, then do try and come along. It's too late for this one, obviously, if you listen to the podcast, unless you've got some time machine. But for next week, if it's not the 21st yet, then do try and join us uh, because there's gonna be some questions on that. It's gonna be a fantastic episode, um, eye-opening. And then on the 28th, um, episode 138, is going to be with our very own Ryan Smith, um, STA rep and Jack Coward. Um, Ryan and Jack are both creators and hosts of Let's Be Frank podcast, which is a mental health awareness podcast that gives men a platform and a safe space where they can stand up and speak out about their life struggles and mental health challenges. So that's going to be amazing as well. I've um, had Ryan on the show before, but having Ryan and Jack together, talk about the podcast and what they're trying to achieve and what they have achieved um, it's going to be an amazing opportunity as well so there that, that's that's what we've got for the month uh, as always people are joining us live and coming in the room now we've got glenn murphy here saying shake rattle and roll guys there we go thank you glenn and um, some of us will be shaking and i'm sure you'll be rattling a little bit so thank you very much for joining us brian huckley is also here as well hey brian thanks for joining us and that's the joy of coming and joining us live is because you can network, you can meet other soft tissue therapists maybe from your region. You can get a little bit to know how the Sports Therapy Association works, et cetera, et cetera. And when you say a message, I can bring it up on the screen to show your fantastic, beautiful features like Brian Huxley here. And uh, and also if you want to your logo, and it's just a wonderful opportunity to hang out with um, sports soft tissue therapists. Uh, Lindsay Penn is also here now, fantastic. So people are coming into the live lounge Right then, so um, I think I've been talking for far too long already. So we'll start off this month's focus on mental health and learning disability with tonight's guest, Mr. James Chapman. You are listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy.
1: James, how are you doing? Hi, hi, I'm Matt. Really good, thanks.
0: I can see, I hope this hour um, serves you well. Um, you've been in the struggles a little bit, haven't you? With family upsets and stomach bugs and all this sort of thing, which is going round. Um, so thank yeah. you for joining us. We'll be talking a little bit off air now. We won't kind of treat all of um, the listeners here to the gastrointestinal diversity that you're appreciating in your household at the moment. But yeah, I appreciate you giving up your time, and Really good to see you again. Thank you, thank you. And it was lovely to have you along at Therapy Expo, which seems quite so long ago now back in November and um, it was wonderful to give people who were there a chance to listen to you and everything you've done so thanks again for that yeah, right so tonight um yeah you're opening the show for um, a whole month or three weeks worth of um putting the much-needed magnifying glass on mental health and learning disability um for people who aren't aware it's very difficult isn't it with someone of your length of your experience but elevator pitch kind of a minute on what you do and how you may be able to help soft tissue therapists in the capacity of mental health
1: okay thanks so um yeah so i'm a mental health first aid trainer um, uh, for mental health first aid england Um, i'm also a plenary speaker on race and ethnicity for england Um, along with that i do diversity and inclusion trainings um, and i've been a massage therapist sports massage therapist and um myofascial um, therapist um, and yoga therapist for almost 20 years so um i've been doing that in kind of general practice i suppose general kind of clinics but also mainly uh working for mental health um charities um drug rehabs and stuff like that so a lot of background working in uh, mental health and actually that's kind of how i got into all of this through poor mental health and having massage for many uh, years before I was uh, misdiagnosed with cervical spondylitis uh, um, but a lot of physical pain a lot of psychological pain as well uh, having regular massages and something that just helped me so much so when i gave up my previous life in the city um, I just felt like I wanted just to study massage, um, because it was just so amazing. And, and here I am. And I think over the years, um, I studied psychotherapy as well early, early on in, um, 2003, uh, which gave me a lot of really, um, vital skills that have helped me as a therapist, um, to create boundaries, to manage my own stress, um, to be able to signpost people, um, and, uh, mental health first aid training that I do is, is very, um, good for spotting the signs having conversations ha- having boundaries being able to actually have conversations but without getting that emotional uh, entanglement and actually from coming up and speaking with people um at the therapy expo you know i kind of really because mental health is so broad it's like you know we, we're not going to be we're therapists in a different way we're not mental health um professionals um uh, we don't need to be um but we do really need to have, yeah, to have those conversations and develop listening skills so that we can signpost. Because um, I, did, I, did a, a, I teach on some yoga trainings as well. I teach yoga teachers and um, I was doing a teacher training for one of the biggest yoga training companies like, uh, early on in January. And they asked me to do half an hour on mental health uh, <laughs> in with my diversity and inclusion um, module. And uh, like, half an hour on mental health, what can I do? You know, the main thing is to be able to have conversations and, and develop some listening skills. So, um, so yeah, I think it's really important as therapists that we can, um, you know, I think when people come to therapy, they might have some MSK um, stuff going on, some musculoskeletal problems. But you know, they get on the couch or they get in the room, and then you find out they're not sleeping. This is happening. That's happening. And um, and sometimes you can be left carrying loads of stuff and if you're giving advice out of, that's out of your scope of practice you know this can be i think really damaging for the client and also for feels a therapist because then you go home and you're like did i say the right thing and should i have said that and you have that emotional uh entanglement which can be really draining, it
0: was <laughs> draining. Um definitely it was your name came up last week actually when we were talking to tim alladicey we had a very good question somebody sent it in to matt at the UK, and they said now that we're kind of embracing the biopsychosocial model and we realise that we shouldn't be you know we, we realize now what structure of and over kind of dependency on posture and the structural side of things um does that mean we should be doing more training on to to prepare ourselves for understanding the psychosocial part of things like the psychology and stuff like that and And your name—it was a wonderful segue to say, "Yes, is the first answer to that question. We do need to know more about it. It's all very well saying you have to, you know, ask the person how there is and look the yellow flags, but what do you do with that information? How do you know about boundaries and that sort of stuff?" So your name came up, and that's exactly what, to some extent, um, MHFA provides, isn't it? It's giving therapists more language, ability to listen relate, refer on if necessary, rather than just kind of muddling away way through, which could do more harm to yourself and
1: also mm. to your client. Yeah, make sense. De- yeah, yeah, definitely. It's about, um, often it's about signposting uh, and you know, and being able to, you know, someone tells you something and, and just being able to say, thanks for telling me that. Um, this is who I am. This is what mm. I do. This is how I can help you. Have you ever thought of speaking to xyz abc whatever it might be and then giving um robust information you know the uh bona fide sources to send them to um and uh, and also supporting them in that sometimes you know um because i mean it depends on your relationship with that person uh, but often it can be um kind of scary for people um, and um, to have someone to sit there and say, "Well, actually, should we have a look at some links and see what's on the NHS website, or something like that?" You know, can be can be really useful because you know, often again, if it's someone not sleeping, if they've noticed changes in their appetite and, and stuff like that, um, you know, they're, they're going to need to go to their to their GP. Um, and um, and you know, if um, you know, if they come and they start talking about psychological problems as well. Um, And, you know, they need to maybe speak to the GP about that as well. And I think there's so much um, stigma and discrimination around mental health. Um, There's a lot of fear as well over saying the wrong thing and having to fix things, which we don't have to do. You know, Um, it's really when you when you delve into um, mental health and different diagnosis, um, there's so much overlap on symptoms and and it's really not our place to to get involved in thinking oh maybe they've got this maybe they've got that or Mm -hmm. whatever um but just to have some general understanding because mental health affects us all one one in four people will have uh poor mental health in every year you know yeah
0: saw that uh, that's quite incredible i'm just going to ask you because you're very people listening to the podcast um uh, are hearing you at this moment moving around quite a lot so I don't know if you can sit on your hands or...
1: I'm going to hold my mic in my hand oh wow is that, that
0: a... now that that is well good. that is beautiful that is <laughs> you can do that and I'm loving uh, it okay um, thanks for I'm, that um, and okay. yeah no it's it ties in again wonderfully um it was it was last week Tim Allardyce said he's working with a team now he set up for people who are suffering from long COVID complications. And he said, it's shocking, there's some people in horrific um, situations. And he he mentioned that he had a chat with somebody, young lad who, when they're going through the questions mentioned, yes, he's thinking of suicide on a daily basis. And that suddenly became, I think it was Gary who joined us last week said, how do listeners feel if somebody said that to you? One, is it something you're gonna take home with you? Is it something that's gonna run, run around your mind and maybe be destructive in that sense? And two, how would you deal with it in terms of the person in front of you, both strategically signposting them, and to being able to talk about it, but not too much. So again, we referred that and segued that onto, onto tonight, because it is something, especially in this day and age, sadly, I'm going to sound like an old man now, but I think things are getting worse. There seems to be more mental health issues, maybe because of our pace of life, because of expectations, because of the internet, all sorts of reasons, because of world struggles over. Um, there's more likelihood that you are going to have to, deal with people coming into your clinic with mental health problems which need to be sorted is it getting worse or am I just being a bit is it because I'm getting older
1: yeah no <laughs> there are new challenges Do you know I think in the in the past um poor mental health has always always been there and I think um you know I'm th- I'm thinking of my I mean I'm, I'm in my 50s my parents grew up in the second world war um, their parents fought one of them one of my grandparents parents fought in both world wars um their parents were victorians you know so there's a lot of uh, like trauma that's been passed down and i think in the past people just didn't speak about it um now i think that there are different challenges you know um we've got the internet which can be fantastic but it brings with it a lot of cyberbullying a lot of um you know uh more pressure from the media. Um, people have their phones, they rely on those. I think um, socially things have changed as well. Um, people don't live uh, so much. You know, I mean, I grew up in a small town outside London. Um, I don't know how many people that I went to school with still live in that town because it's very expensive. You know, where I live in London, now people are moving away because it's expensive. And, you know, whereas you might have grown up and had your grandparents a few doors down and your aunts and uncles and everyone around, now people are, are really dispersed. Um, and, um, and and I think it's harder now. There's, you know, people are on um, zero hours contract. You can go to university. You can whack up rack up 40 grand's worth of debt at uni and then maybe get... Um, you know, a um, uh, living wage job, if you're lucky, you know. So whereas in the past, you know, you might have been able to get a job for life, buy a house, and, <laughs> you know, so things things have changed. And, and one of the stats that really is really, really concerning is um, since 2012, uh, suicide in uh, women under 25, so women and, and girls as... Um, gone up by 93.8 percent 93.8 percent and largely because of social media you know so um people ask me often you know is, is, mental, is it because people are more aware of mental health are people reporting it more uh, the stats around suicides uh don't lie you know um and drug related deaths have gone up a lot i i should have sent to you actually but uh i um i live in finsbury park in north london uh which is quite well to do now um it used to be quite rough but it's quite it's quite it's quite well to do it's very expensive around here to buy a house um and um i noticed there were a lot of cars driving past my house one morning and that indicated to me that on the main road there was a problem maybe a road traffic accident or something so i googled um i I went onto twitter as the best source for local any news straight away and um and I just googled, Fins- uh, tw- put in Twitter search Finsbury Park, and this image came up. And uh, I should send it to you. Actually, it said Weed Lord, and it had cocaine, THC, mushrooms, edibles, ketamine, um, all this uh, meth. Um, and it had Finsbury Park. It had Muzzle Hill, Crouch End, Highgate, Hampstead. Nice, you know, very expensive. If you want a four bedroom house? Even in Finsbury Park, is going to be one point three million. You know. Um, and the uh, Snapchat and the uh, Telegram and um, WhatsApp. And, you know, this was the first thing that came up. And it's worrying, you know, because, uh, you know, substance abuse is, is a big, big problem. And the fact that it's there and it's being advertised on Twitter. This isn't the dark web. You know, this was on a Monday morning at eight o'clock in the morning. And this is coming up and, you know, this is like numbers you can phone and someone will come around on a little scooter and deliver all kinds of really strong drugs, you know, and it's really, really worrying. And that was something that just didn't happen uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago, definitely, you know, so.
0: There seems to be this problem and and. Because kids are never going to listen to adults. Yeah. Adults are the only ones who've got the experience of seeing how things are changing, and like, I can tell now. Like, I, I teach and I've got students, and they're younger. They're in their kind of twenty. Some of them a bit younger, and and they're talking. I mean, now everyone's talking about. Um, for example, the other day, we were talking about. And I got the name of the website wrong. Is it only friends. Something like that, oh, so yeah, you think? Yeah. Is it Only Fans? Only Fans. Only Fans, that's it. I remember <laughs> everyone laughed at me because I got it wrong, and I thought, well, <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty glad I got it wrong. It kind of shows that I haven't been that's there. That's
1: really but... lovely, Only Fans.
0: Yeah, I thought it was, that'd be a nicer version <laughs> yeah. of it. Um, but should, yeah, but anyway, it's Only Fans, isn't it? Yeah, and they were kind of like, quoting it again, it was probably ad verbatim, and it was like, they were suggesting the amount that their friends were making, and sisters of their friends, and you're seeing like this being sold on Google of how much these girls can make. Um, but the this must, even though somebody under the age of 40 is probably not going to agree with it, no one's going to convince me that this is a healthy career choice, putting yourselves in a webcam and selling your body, which is pretty much the only thing which you can hold onto yourself and not sell, as opposed to your time and all that sort of stuff. And you're doing it maybe for a few years and earning lots of money. That's That's got to be troublesome later on not just for you but the people around you and your family all that sort of stuff but now it's becoming the norm and there seems to be an ever-increasing amount of young girls who are doing that as a living making it a career choice um and that's yeah. just one up i mean it's just as bad instagram where people are just you know it's just horrific it scares the hell out of me but yeah how do adults like yourself how do you help younger people who are always going to have that rebellion kind of oh you guys don't understand it you're not hip. you're not cool how does the education be passed down
1: that's a really, really good question, actually. Um, and I think a lot of that, this objectification of, of women, um, you know, porn is just available, like, everywhere. And it's not like, you know, what were they called? Razzle or whatever. You know, when I was a kid, you'd kind of, you know, like your mate's dad's house, you'd have a look, you'd have something under the bed, you'd have a quick look and a bit of a bit giggle. It's really, like, serious stuff. And I can't remember the stat off the top of my head, but it's a, a massive amount of uh, young women are sent unsolicited uh, dick pics and stuff like that, it's a huge amount, it's like a massive amount um, and and then going off to do that and, and I think a lot of it is um, adolescence is a really, really critical time in, um, in young person's development so um, there's dopamine and serotonin which kind of go hand in hand all through uh, early development and then as um, young people hit puberty dopamine spikes up And it spikes up in a massive, uh, massive way. And it does that so that young people take um, high risk um, decisions for little rewards. And they do that because they need to break free of the family, they need to interact with their peers because that's how that's why they kind of withdraw and the friends are the most important thing and they get all their validation because they have to uh, learn how to succeed as adults through trial and error with their peers. Um, And this is why in adolescence, Addiction is the most common time for addiction to occur. Depression, psychosis, um, behavioural problems um, with autistic spectrum disorders will come up in that time. Um, and and this is why it's really, really important that young people have connection. You know, they have um, um, people that are going to create bonds, help improve or, or like improve their self-esteem and their feelings of self-worth because at that age it's very easy to kind of get in with the wrong crowd i did it you know and go off with people because you don't feel that you're valued enough and you're never going to be this and you're never going to be that um and you know i i think with you know with so like talking to young people understanding that they're going through this and it's not because they're just being buggers excuse my language but it's there uh, it's it's wide into all of us we all we all went through this and i think how you come out of that depends on how strong those connections that you had you know how much love you felt to your family to the people around you whether you had good friends around you and you felt valued and you felt that you belong somewhere um i think it's very easy to um to kind of fall through that um uh, and end up on the wrong side and then you've got um charmers like this andrew tate who's um you know who's everywhere um and you know preaching misogyny and you know women are property and this is 2023 you know and i do a lot of work with schools and the amount of teachers that are like i've got boys who are Really into Andrew Tate, and they mm. you know, they believe in this matrix stuff, and and you know Andrew Tate, that's what he's been doing. You know how he got his money was um, through women. You know, yeah. uh, trapping yeah. women and getting them to do porn, basically. Anyway, so yeah, it's all yeah, it's all
0: um, and of course and also these people are oh, so tricky. These people are still. I always I've always put massage therapists and sports therapists, even yo, any healthcare professional, even. It's going to see these people because they are people with everyday lives and they're going to be coming into your clinic and i'm not saying that if you find out that somebody does do something which you think could be harmful profession-wise you should step in and say you shouldn't be doing that young lady it's that's could get into all sorts of problems but i think it's uh, it's, it's having being able to refer out if because people like you say put somebody on a couch and start massaging them even and we've seen it happen before people open up their emotions and if people are putting on a brave face and doing this and really not liking what they're doing but they're getting the money chances are when they do come and see you when they're in pain or something because that last two weeks of pole dancing just wasn't working and they've hurt themselves they may suddenly start crying or opening up or sharing because that therapeutic alliance can be really powerful so I guess in all these examples it's being able to listen when they do open up and being able to refer on as necessary and just being that point of contact part of that support, which maybe they lack elsewhere. Big responsibility. Um, I think particularly for, for soft tissue therapists, because these people are going to come to you through the door yeah. in more and more quantities.
1: More and more yeah, quantities. definitely. And I, you know, I had, um, so I saw someone recently, someone that works in the art world, um, and, um, you know very, very lovely person, and um, and they started opening up about um, an illness a serious, very serious illness that their child had had when they were very young some years ago and said, You know, I don't think I'll ever recover from that, and that was really touching. And this was someone that came to me and they had pain, um, probably psoas or something like that, I don't know, but in that kind of area, and then something we're talking about about this you know and and i've got I'm a father i've got children and i think when someone says something to us that's painful you know like our normal chit chat response call normal conversation someone says something you say something back someone says something painful to you um you say something to try and fix it because it touches something you and it's like, it's uncomfortable. And it's like, I don't want to go there. That feels bad. And uh, I'm going to try and make them feel better or try and make myself uh, feel better. And that actually having that connection is good. That feeling, but it's what you do with it, you know, because if you have that feeling, like if someone says something painful for me and I feel it in my chest and it's uncomfortable and it's painful, that means I've made a connection with them. Uh, but if I try and just fix it or say something to make them feel better or whatever, that's probably not going to be helpful for them. What I need to do is think about my frame of reference and say, wow, OK, I've got this feeling now. Um, but this is my frame of reference. What in in, in my being is, is is invoking that feeling and responding to that or, <clears throat> excuse me, reacting to that um, I have to be very careful how i react to that and whether i just want to fix it or because that's Mm. a natural thing you know and this is why we're going to look at active listening later it's called active listening uh because you you have to do it actively our default mode is the chit chat mode so to actively listen you've got to actively do it and hold on to your judgments and i always ask people can we be non-judgmental i don't know if anyone in the um Around, yeah. Uh, knows if, if you can be non-judgmental, please, uh, please, please tell us because it's a really good question.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, the active listening we could jump to now. I'm, I'm fortunate enough. I'm doing a course with Dr. Gary Mendoza, who also spoke. Um, and that's about motivational interviewing and, and behavior change. And, and last Sunday we did it and uh, it was all about active listening and, and how to change that natural tendency we do have to speak too quickly, to not pause, leave some silence, um, techniques on how to just reply with a reflection, different types of reflection to help that kind of conversation go along. So it's amazing, amazing stuff. But it is stuff that some people are born with um, and we don't know why, they just seem to have that natural knack of of um, doing it. And I, but it is something which if you haven't got, then you can learn. And I remember one thing he said, which is really interesting, which stuck with me was, we've got this idea that to show empathy you need to have suffered what that person is talking about. That's the only way you can show empathy. And you say, no, that's rubbish. It's not That's not what empathy is about at all. You know, Empathy is made up of other factors um, as being able to listen, being able to reflect in such a way that the person understands you're listening. And you don't need to have done and suffered exactly what the person is doing. It might be advantageous, but it's not the definition of empathy. So, so yeah, active listening. Let's move this on to them. So we're in a scenario then where people with mental health problems. And we've already said that a quarter of the UK experienced some kind of mental health problem in the course of a year. So in theory, a quarter of our clients could be um, suffering. Okay. They come through. Maybe let's start off with red flags or yellow flags or both, whereas we should start thinking, right, this we need to switch on my active listening now, I should be doing all the time. But what are some red flags or yellow flags that that conversation should be pursued a little bit to help that person
1: well i think um i think you know if someone says something and um obviously a, a red flag where there's no confidentiality is they're going to harm themselves or someone else and then you, you need to you know you need to tell someone about that straight away um uh yellow flags i think with the yellow flags i was discussing this with another therapist the other day and um I think sometimes, if you have that feeling that someone you know if they come to you for a treatment and they're kind of asking questions and 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 you know you don't kind of get the feeling that that this treatment's going to help and and that actually they might need to see someone else, it's to go with it um and you know I've done that many times and actually said that I think you need to go to see um somebody else. I don't think I can help you at this moment, and I think it's it's really important to. Uh, to recognize that is difficult because obviously you know you want your clinic to be busy and you know you've booked out that time and that's money that's going to be lost but I think if someone comes to see you um, and um, starts talking in a way that you think um, you know I don't know what's going on here uh, <laughs> this doesn't seem like a straightforward case of um, plantar fasciitis or something like that um, then um, you know, you can use active listening skills, but, you know, I think um, when it comes to, I don't know, someone saying something, I mean, the people will talk about all kinds of stuff um, and, you know, when you need to, I think, to, um, to signpost is, is when that happens and not be afraid to do that, you know, is to, like I said, it's like someone says something, thanks for telling me that, um, um, have you sort of speaking to someone else about this, have you spoken to your GP? Um, I was going to ask. So, what
0: what sort of there's GP obviously, but should should soft tissue therapists be forging relationships with what type of other care healthcare professionals in the area? Is it like local clinics where they do psychoanalysis and CBT and all that sort of stuff, or who should we have cards or posters up about?
1: Um, That's a really good question. Actually, I think it's good to know what's around in your local area. Uh, there's a website called Hub of Hope. Um, you know, if someone's speaking to you and I think they're they're clearly talking about um, distressing emotions and and signs and symptoms that kind of maybe, for example, point to depression or, or something like that. Um, I think it's it's good to to say to them, look, you know, are you happy? Do you know? what's going on here, uh, you know, have you spoken to anyone about this? And um, and then, yeah, putting them in the way to GP or the, have you spoken to your local mind and know mm-hmm. what resources are around. And that actually, you know, just asking if there's help available and there is help available, asking for help is a really positive thing. Um, and I think for us as therapists to know that just like with physical conditions, you know, mental health um, is, you know, people are likely to recover and people do recover with some of mental health disorders they might be for life but you know for example um recovery rates for depression are really really good uh it's just getting people to treatment and there's a lot of people who might come Had them many times i work with someone from a very famous uh boy band and um you know like, oh my shoulders james my shoulders and i'd be treating his shoulders thinking i wish i had shoulders like this these are like the shoulders of a an 18 year old with no worries but to him they were agonizing and this you know this person has been through some stuff for sure um so um you know people will come and and present with that and i think it's good to i think we all as human beings you know the clinical intervention which is a good point actually because the clinical intervention for mental health conditions is medication and talking therapists, um, and what we need to have um, is a community intervention because the clinical intervention is is really important that we signpost. But just as human beings, never mind therapists, um, you know, waiting times can be um, months and months and months. They can be years, you know. So we, I think, we have to come together as people to be able to uh, support people when they have. Uh, poor mental health and I'll give you a quick example so I um, I've been having a hard time the last few years and um, I thought I could do with a bit of therapy and I called up ICOPE which is IAPT is improving access to psychological therapies so this Uh, is UK-wide, it was brought out in 2008, or in in England, actually, 2008, the most ambitious talking therapy program in the world, fantastic. Um, So I called up my local one, I live in uh, Camden and Islington, in London, Um, and I suppose it's really lovely, it was an NHS service, and she said for less complex cases, the waiting time is um, six to eight weeks, and more complex cases, which would be me, nine months. Uh, It was goals-focused. So I've got really good self-care skills. So it's not for me. I just kind of need someone to talk to, that kind of thing. So I did some research on this. She gave me, she's amazing, she gave me a lot of low-cost places where I could get therapy in North London. Brilliant. Um, And so I did some research, and last year 1.4 million people accessed the service, and only 300,000 completed it and saw improvements so a huge amount of people dropped off you know and then i did a bit more research and i found out that the six to eight weeks is for an assessment and then it would be on average a month before treatment started after that you know so services are really really stretched They, they aim to increase the capacity so we can signpost people and that's great but i think as human beings we need to come together and support people and to have knowledge around mental health and be able to say yeah people can recover and to know what local services there will be and actually massage plays a huge part in improving people's mental health it's it's well documented there's loads of scientific studies on it and there's actually studies which say that um, giving massage uh, helps with your mental health as well I don't know if you
0: knew that (laughs) Uh, I think I heard it from you before from maybe therapy or somewhere yeah it's a lovely it's a there's some wonderful studies now I was going to say actually because Again, looking at it from a both a business perspective and the natural altruism we've got to helping people, we maybe we should be forging relationships more with local clinic with mine and mm-hmm. that because at the right time, a complementary kind of together massage um, sessions and whatever kind of counselling they're going to have at the same time at the right place might be double the benefit because yeah, it has yeah. been shown that um, massage and just human touch can help with anxiety and depression. So, but that, that made me think as well, we've got to know when because there's there's going to be some times where we shouldn't really, well two questions actually, Catherine Reimer has reminded me as well, but there's going to be times where we maybe we shouldn't be proceeding with this person in our clinic because one, we need to try and make sure that they're going to get proper help and whilst they're come to see you this might not be happening. And two, maybe there's a safeguarding issue as well. I mean Catherine said, let me just... just scroll that back so people in watching on youtube can see that question on the screen um catherine i would actually say would safeguarding be something that maybe needs linking more with mental health i mean how responsible are we as therapists to report something if we do hear um somebody say either harming themselves or harming someone in their family or someone in the street what's our responsibility legally do you know
1: um (sighs) It's difficult, I think, because as therapists, I don't know whether there's a legal responsibility. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's definitely a moral responsibility. I think every therapist, as as Catherine, I think, said that um, someone has said, yes, Catherine's doing a safeguarding, needs Mm -hmm. to do safeguarding training. You know, I think you can get free safeguarding uh, training um, generally from most local authorities. Um, not always, um, I've done level three adults and children because I work with mental health services companies and I think it's, safeguarding concerns are often a sign of poor mental health, you know, mm-hmm. so they're, they're very, very much linked and um, and I think I think we, you know, we have a duty if, if we think uh, an adult's vulnerable, if we think they're at risk, um, then we should report them, um, report to our local safeguarding officer and the safeguarding officers will then, decide whether there is a safeguarding concern or not. So I think it's fine to do that because you're not going to get anyone in trouble or anything else. Um, I think it's really important that we we look after you see someone on the street who's vulnerable. And and part of the um, trainings that I do, we look at boundaries and it's like, is it appropriate to go and uh, say someone's having a psychotic episode? So they're having an altered reality. They're on the street. Um, You might be there with your child or children. You know and they look like they're in distress do you go and have a conversation with them and it's like well depends on the age of your children uh, personally i've done it many times i've i i lived close to a busy station i'll go around to the station someone looks like they're in distress can you go Did it, i've called the police or called the an ambulance and said because uh, i think it's important that we as people do if we see someone that's in in trouble um and services are there to help them you know Mm, definitely.
0: I'm pretty sure, well, I'm sure actually, Sports David Association, and if you're not part of the STA, then probably your own um, professional association should have a safeguarding department. Um, and they will always, I know the STA, if you're a STA member, then just email, for example, Gary at the STA.co.uk or admin at the STA.co.uk or me, Matt at the STA.co.uk and um, you can get advice on what to do with regards to whether you should put something in your notes to show what you've done if you have forwarded this information to somebody or so yeah if you're not sure about what to do then contact your professional association and somebody there should be appointed with looking after you and also the people you see to get some advice
1: i think it's a good point as actually to make some reflective notes anyway always on you know on any anything that concerns you is to write it down um because again
0: to turn it around to the client actually being the person with mental health problems this could affect your own mental health if that person does tragically go and do something terrible and you didn't do anything you thought oh he will be okay it's just not i'm not i'm not gonna see them again that's gonna come around and, and hit you hard if something if you feel guilt um so yeah if only for that reason um boundaries boundary you mentioned boundaries and that reminded me um yeah talk to us a little bit more about boundaries
1: um so i suppose boundaries are, are really you know where like we've been talking about how where do i get involved when do i report um how much do i say if someone says something um uh, mentioned some distress how do i respond um am i going out of my professional remit by offering advice and saying well you know try some st john's wort and um a um, you know <laughs> I don't know some uh, Wim Hof, a Wim Hof uh, breathing technique or something like that which might work for you uh, but might be damaging for that person you mm-hmm. know it's like well as a sports therapist um is that my role to do that and it's like no it's not you know mm. um, as a friend yeah that's fine I think it's. I think it's really. You know, for me, it's been. I mean, I've been working in a, as, as a therapist for many, many years with some very, very challenging clients, and the ability to say uh, is either to maybe not say anything. We've had some stuff in the chat from Brian about active listening and and just being able to hold the space and being able to reflect stuff back and uh, and really make it about them rather than you letting them speak, um, but knowing that you haven't crossed any boundaries or any kind of got into ocean entanglements by saying the wrong thing i think it's it's so so important to be able to do so that you can actually right okay i've done this and i've done that and and i know exactly what i've done and um, um and then you can kind of go home and and leave that on the couch you
0: know mm-hmm. and this home. is stuff i guess that's covered in mental health first aid on the course so people are equipped because I suppose legally you're not obliged to do it, but at least if you've got your MHFA, then does that, does that kind of, I imagine, extend those boundaries and, and give you a certification which allows
1: you to get a little bit more involved, or is it...? Yeah, it gives you a certificate, but I think it's more that it just gives you... It makes you more comfortable in, in mm-hmm. having these conversations and being able to do that. And I think with uh, the prevalence of mental health, and, you know, remember the cost of living, crisis i mean i've been the reason i've been having a hard time is because my landlord's been trying to sell my house and uh, you know the the valuations i've had have been absolutely ridiculous it's like how do you afford to do that so i've been suffering i'm not going to be homeless i might have to move further towards the edge of london or whatever but you know i'm looking at renting a three-bedroom house for two thousand three hundred pounds a month on the edge of london you know Mm -hmm. Miles away from my kid's school, and uh, you know, and it's you think two thousand three hundred pounds a month, you know, and this isn't someone who's going to be homeless or whatever. It's been very hard. So, I think the coming um, months, um, you know, with people's energy bills and everything else, I think everyone should um, should really have these skills, definitely, and be able to have these conversations and look out for each other. I think it's so important.
0: So let's talk, baby. Let's talk about some tools. I know that's mm-hmm. something which you're, you're very fond of sharing. And what are some tools that's keeping our focus on the therapists? And we know this is going to be a tricky year coming up ahead, as you've mentioned, with bills and and maybe people not having so much disposable income to go to a healthcare professional of some form. What are some tools then to to help us with stress and to kind of keep an eye on our mental capacity?
1: Yeah, so really good question. So I thought you know the stress container. I don't know whether anyone's uh, familiar with that, but it's a really useful. Way of looking at stress, and um, I think stress is often seen as a badge of honor. We don't, you know, we go through life and we just kind of take it on our backs and kind of gets heavier and heavier, and we don't realize until something, you know, snaps. Um, So, I think it's really important that we can sit down and actually look at our stress, be honest about it, uh, look at what we've got in our life, what we've got evidence for how we can manage that stress with the stuff that we can't do anything about like you know um i don't know some a long-term health issue or um cost of living and stuff like that we can't really do a lot about it yeah we can budget and, and do some other things but um uh, and look at our stress signature what you know notice the signs when we're under stress and also who's who's got our back and stress is a predictor and a risk factor for most mental health conditions and suicides you know so we can for our for ourselves is actually a really powerful thing to think right you know what is uh, in my stress bucket which is the, the one of the tools i'm going to share um i had about it was about 15 years ago i had pericarditis so the pericardium muscle holds the heart in the chest i actually came on after stress um and uh, you know like any muscle strain uh, impairs the function of the muscle when the heartbeat increases it felt like i was having a heart attack and it was horrible i put on about 10 kilos awful but it showed me just how stressful my life is and i am one of these people i have the attitudes to stress i'm like bring it on come on bring it on you know i have problems with timekeeping, not because i'm lazy because i'm always trying to do stuff you know i just love life and and, uh, and I, I you know i don't have that thing of like that's enough so um you know someone would call me on my phone good friend i'd see their name and i'd be like clutching my chest i was like wow something unresolved in that relationship driving had a little golf at the time whizzing around the back streets of london sunroof music love it couldn't drive not because of road rage just someone driving a little bit too close to me like that you know and you know, when you go change lane, someone kind of cuts the distance a little bit. I wouldn't raise an eyebrow to that, but the physiological effects it was having on my body, the stress was there, you know, so that showed me just how stressful my, uh, my life is. And, um, So it's really, I think, I think, you know, one thing we don't do is look at how stressful life is. And I know as a therapist, you know, I mean, I'm very lucky because I've got my mental health training. I don't rely on my therapies. I still do therapies um, like I used to. But, you know, I was just in a yoga centre that I work at today and um, half the therapy rooms are empty. You know there's people who have given up their shifts there because and this is a really busy place in central london um a really good place to work um because people just haven't got that money you know everything's gone up oils have gone up wax has gone up you know it's been a while since i bought couch roll but that was really really expensive um and people are spending less so it's very 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 difficult so i think uh, a good way for us to look after ourselves and our family is to look at uh, a stress container um so yeah do you want to do you want to bring that one up and um... i could
0: do i do have the image here if i bring up the right one um if i put it is this one here?
1: yeah 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 if i put it on full so people can see it they can still hear you so yeah brilliant so i'll talk through that quickly so we've got stress coming into the bucket and on the bucket, it's a bit difficult to see, but it says, how big is your bucket? Some people have stress buckets that are, like, massive. They're, like, a inflatable jacuzzi. And they're kind of like, yeah, I'll paint your house for you and I'll babysit. And nothing faces them. Um, you know, other people have got stress buckets the size of a shot glass. And you ask them, like, oh, what sandwich would you like? And they're like, don't ask me about Just make me a sandwich, you know um and how big your stress container is your stress bucket really depends on your life experiences and where you are in that moment you know uh with the stuff that's been going on with my house and 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 stuff my stress bucket is pretty small at the moment you know um and stress comes into the container so you know for its money stuff um work stuff uh, its family stuff um it's you know, cost of renting a room or cost of a couch roll, all of this stuff can go in there, you know. Um, you know, there's other stuff as well, which you might not have evidence for, like a bit of imposter syndrome, you know, sometimes you say, oh, did, did I do that right? Do I, you know, da, da, da. Um, so it's really good. So I've made this into a fillable form so people can print it out if they want or just do it on online, it's a fillable PDF. But to write down the stress that they've got in their life and be honest about it. And I always say to people, when you're doing this, if there's something that's private and personal, and you don't want anyone to find out about it, or if you're doing it in a group activity, for example, if your wife is stressing you out or something, my wife is wonderful I have to say that. I was say um, that. To, <laughs> to uh, name it as a, um, a food stuff you don't like, you know, so it might be broccoli. I love broccoli, but uh, something like that, you know, so you can actually name it, but no one else, if they ever read it, will, will know. So stress goes into your container. Um, And then you've got at the top. So there's a normal level of stress. And I've got another graphic in a moment. We've got time, the pressure, performance curve. Uh, um, So we have a normal level of stress and a normal level of stress is good. It strives us to overcome things. This is when our minds are most active. If we get too much, then we're going into tiredness and then eventually burnout. The stress fills up into our stress bucket and when it gets to the top we've got problems developing we've got emotional snapping uh, pressure performance curves. so you see uh, it leads to burnout and one burnout is actually uh, recognized by the world health organization as, as a condition um, so we need the right level of stress we need to be able to manage our stress so when our stress bucket overflows this is when we have throwing stuff crying children will have tantrums that kind of stuff um even before that so if you go back to the stress container mm-hmm. we've got um the um uh yeah the stress signature so this is really important so uh, my stress signature for example uh, i go to toilet more um, the normal i swear a lot when i'm stressed my sleep goes i stop fantasizing about electric suvs like Audis that i can't afford and i'd be too scared to have one parked outside my house anyway um but i know then when i'm looking at things i can't afford and stuff i'm stressed you know so stress signature recognizing your unique stress signature is important and who's got your back which is important as well. So my wife is fantastic. I've said that already, and I will forever say that. But if I start talking to her in a disrespectful way, if I start swearing in front of the children, she'll say, James, what's going on? And I'll be like, thanks. You know, we can have that conversation. So it's really important that you have that ability to have that with your work colleagues, with your uh, partner, your significant other. So to keep our normal level of stress, we need to have, uh, you've got the tap at the bottom, helpful coping strategies. These can be reading writing exercising having a massage um going out into nature whatever whatever makes you happy you know and then unhelpful coping strategies classic unhelpful coping strategy having a drink you know can be nice every now and again can lead into a habit even if it's a beer at the end of the day or a glass of wine if that glass of wine isn't there do you get angry do you get ratty you know um Helpful coping strategies can become unhelpful. You know, I I love Olympic lifting. I go to the gym. I know when I'm really stressed, I will overexercise. I'll spend too long there, I'll injure myself. Um, I'll be late for my next appointment. Um, So, you know, we have to think about helpful and unhelpful coping strategies, eating unhealthy food, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, So when you do this, um, this is really important to think about as well, The pandemic, you know, what have you lost because of the pandemic? you know i don't go out shopping as much i don't socialize as much anymore you know going out on a saturday afternoon to the west end in london something i used to do quite often now it's like i think i've done it once in three years uh, and i did it recently just to take some trainers back that i bought online um, and i was like wow this is great you know um so it's really good to think about um about that and also to do this in um Maybe in a month's time, six months time, see what you're procrastinating about. See what things in your stress bucket you could have taken out. See what helpful coping strategies you could have added. See what unhelpful ones you maybe could have uh, taken away. And um, and it's I think it's really good to think about things that you used to like doing as well that you, you've stopped doing. I, I recently took up the guitar again after a few years. Love it. I can't put it down. Uh, but I know actually if I'm working on a core progression that's really difficult, it might become an unhelpful coping strategy. Mm -hmm. So knowing that and when to put it down and having a list and and lots of different helpful coping strategies. So if um, writing doesn't um, do it for me, if I've got brain fog, I do a bit of music as well, I can't do that. Okay, I'll go and clean something, I'll go and cook something, I'll go and play with my kids, you know, I'll do whatever. And having that thing so you've got these because I think self-care is something that we don't, Learn it's not something that's taught to us. We have to schedule it, we have to make time for it, we have to make sure we're getting enough self care, and it shouldn't be seen as self indulgent. You know, it's the old um, oxygen mask thing we have to put on our oxygen mask first, but this is something we're not taught. Uh, for men, it can often be a macho thing, or you know, uh, so it's really actually really nice coming to the therapy expo, meeting yourself and Gary and all these big guys, you know, a lot of them are ex army and that. But, you know, talking about self-care, talking about mental health, you know, getting involved in therapies. And it's really, really good. You know, it's really heartwarming to um, to see that because often it can be, you know, it's like, I oh, can't do that. You know, and my mates, my mates take the mickey out of me because I do a massage. Mm-hmm. And I'm really blessed that I can actually be a part of this, you know, and, and do it. Because for me as well, being around uh, people who care about other people is, is part of self-care
0: this this um, diagram because often a diagram and allowing people to fill out boxes is a great way to get them talking and writing things down and and kind of initiate conversations and also make yourself think this did you say this
1: is available somewhere to print out and yeah use? it's on my website i think i sent you a link for it on uh, allaboutthemind.com resources and then it's the first Excellent. one stress bucket and there's a few questions on the on the other page to ask how you feel this is in yeah. so do I have evidence? So again, you know, this can be a self-stress. You know, young people do this all the time. You know, this is a great thing to do with kids. And you can actually do it, get a physical bucket. You know, kids will often be like, oh, my hair's too short. My hair's too long. You know, we can do this as adults. Actually, my hair started falling out been stressing about that. Actually. <laughs> what can you change? What can't you change? What do you need to accept? What needs my urgent attention? This is often really key um, because often we can like stress about things. That actually, you know that can wait you know that doesn't mm-hmm. have to be done now and who can help me uh because often there are people that can help us and you might think oh i can't i can't ask them for this i can't do that well actually they'd be happy to help you know
0: really uh, great great just taking the time to stop if you can find the time to stop and maybe fill this out or talk it through with someone you start i've got time to do this look it'll take five ten minutes let's just sit down with a bit of paper and go through it like you say, suddenly you start realising what's going on and noticing what's happening and what you can do to change it in time before it develops. Mm. Brilliant. Really useful. And, of course, this is something which therapy can use themselves and then maybe even offer out to clients and patients yeah, if yeah. they feel that it would be useful as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, you're not telling them what to do, once again, you're just giving the... You're giving autonomy, aren't you, to, to the client, to the patient, which is so important. Another thing we were doing with Dr. Gary Mendoza with behaviour change, they've got to be the ones who are going to change themselves. Yeah, they, otherwise, they're just going to keep coming back to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great stuff. Um, the performance curve, can I bring that up again? And yeah, talk a little bit through that? Are you OK? It's nine o'clock now. Are you OK? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm fine. Yeah, yeah sure. I don't want to add to your stress <laughs> at all. Of, so. It'll be ridiculous after tonight. So, to actually, yeah, I've got a packet of
1: biscuits waiting for me in a minute.
0: <laughs> Let's bring this up. Talk me through. I'm going to put it on the screen if you listen to the podcast. And yeah. this is again an example where it might be worth going along to the YouTube channel and catching up with this and because you'll see the graphics we're putting up on the screen. But, but um, James will talk us through what's on the screen now,
1: yeah. Okay, so we've got the pressure performance curve, um, and this is the sources from Williams and uh, 1994. And basically, we've got uh, performance on a vertical axis and level of pressure on a horizontal axis. Um, Low performance comes with the minimum level of pressure, i.e. So if there's no stress, you're you know, you're not active, your brain's not working, you're not inspired, you're not doing a lot. Uh, You get average pressure and it's comfortable. You know, you feel like, yeah, life's good, you've kind of got something to do, it's great. Uh, when you start to get a bit more pressure, this is when you start to uh, come into optimum performance, when you're um, solving problems, when you're really thinking about stuff and you're, you're in that stretch zone. Uh, and the peak is when you get in between stretch and strain. So this is really important because once you start going into strain a bit more, That's when you get fatigue, that's when you get poor judgment, poor decision making, and then if you carry on you're gonna go into crisis which is the maximum amount of stress, Um, and that's exhaustion, serious health problems, breakdown and burnout. Mm -hmm. So how do you stay in that stretch and comfort zone or the stretch zone is really good is by knowing when to stop, by being able to and I saw something in the in the in the chat about saying no, you know, I need to stop, I need to have a massage myself, I need to um relax, I need to say no, whatever it might be, Do you know, it's, it's recognising when it's getting too much and, and being able to stop You know, stress shouldn't be looked at some of that's always bad because that's something that in the in to race solving all these problems on this technology if we didn't have stress.
0: You know um, and once again this diagram is beautiful because I mean we all know that is if we if we find that precious time to stop and look at what we're doing, then we realise it and we can see probably, especially there's probably a pattern, it's the same things. It's it's very rarely that you're just suddenly going into stress. It's probably something you've done throughout your adult life, if not before. So if you can take the time to look at this diagram and go, Oh my God, I've done it again. I'm here. And bam, Um, then you can make that
1: change. But I I, I was in uh, just very quickly. I was in a, I was doing a training in an East London College mental health training and the Safeguarding lead was there, it's a sixth form college, and the Head of uh, Operations was there. And there was lots of teachers from this London borough, and the Safeguarding lead and the Head of Operations, they're sitting there, and there's there's, uh, um, um, a common area on one side of the room, and there's towards the canteen on the other side. And there's all this noise, it's in between lockdowns, there's all these young people happy about being around other young people, they're big young people. and you know every now and again the safeguarding lead would get up they'd go outside and you say put him down or put her down and where are you supposed to be and you know and then they all go off and, and this kept going on and then i started talking about stress the safeguarding leads the young guy i guess i guess i don't get stressed and he's like i don't really get stressed and i said look mate i've been watching you all morning <laughs> and you've been on high alert like this like, like this i said you may not realize the amount of stress you're under because this is your normal life you cope with it you can deal with it but the physiological and the psychological effects is having on you are still having on you i said if there was someone here from uh somerset or something like that i said they'd be hiding under the table you know? <laughs> because it was like i mean i'm from Finsbury park and i was finding it a bit stressed from being there um and that's a good example of how we don't recognize the actual stress that we're under, you know, and that's why we really need, I think that's for us as therapists, it's really important to know. And again, you know, when we're dealing with clients, how's my stress bucket? Can I deal with this person uh, mm-hmm. now? Am I, you know, can I do that? And knowing that and saying, right, okay, uh, and even when someone's engaging with us to say, you know, it's not maybe even to say anything, so mm-hmm. knowing that the boundaries
0: incredible um some amazing pearls of wisdom there and um, we are now at 905 and i don't want to get into trouble um with mrs james chapman when that happening to me at all so um so we're going to sign out if people want to get in touch with you obviously we've got allaboutthemind.com.
1: Yeah. all about the mind all about the and exactly. uh, any listeners of the podcast um or anyone here now or anyone that actually watching on the YouTube can, if you want to do uh, one of my courses, um, you can use code STA50. It's all capitals uh, on any of the courses that are listed on the website and you get 50% off. If you're an STA member, of course, and you will be asked for your STA number, don't
0: forget. Yeah. Uh, um. <laughs> but you know what, STA, to become an STA member costs, I think these days, definitely still less than 50 quid, I think, isn't it, Gary? Yeah. So uh, you it's might find insurance as well. And <laughs> exactly. you know what, being a member of the
1: professional associations, you step with safeguarding with other concerns. This is like this really powerful part of community. I think it's so, so important to have um, peer support, supervision, be able to talk to people who can who can just listen to you and know actually what's what's going on you know what you're dealing with uh, supposed to be what it's all about unfortunately
0: now well uh, some if you find you're with a professional association which is just trying to sell you courses which happen to be put on by that same association then you're missing out on what the association is supposed to be doing and that's looking after you being there to give you support guidance if you feel alone um, and that was Gary uh, Benson um, his, his whole thing he, he started this because he didn't want any single soft tissue therapist out there to feel alone and not having any support from anyone because that's how he felt at some stages of his career. so
1: that's what yeah. it's all about. It really is it really And do you know what I deal with a lot of professional associations and some of them they just want your money do you know true, they, they just want money and it's, that's what it shouldn't be about so it's, it's really nice to be here and the offerings that you give and the time you give to your members is fantastic. We appreciate it coming from you. That means an awful lot. And then on Instagram, you you
0: swap around a little bit. Maybe maybe the name had gone, but on Instagram, you're at all underscore about underscore the underscore mind. Yes, they're all about the mind, but with underscores. But then Twitter, you're about the mind, aren't you? There's no all, I believe. Yeah, I think on Twitter, it's just about the mind. All must have gone. Annoying thing about social media. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because your logo comes up. I checked it. (laughs) And then on Facebook, uh, community groups as well. Things going on on Facebook is there? Yeah.
1: Facebook, all about the minds on Facebook. Plenty of ways uh, to get in touch with you. I find that hard. That's another thing in my stress bucket is social media because I'm just not a selfie person. I'm not a selfie person. I taught two yoga trainings um, earlier on in the year and I didn't do any social media for it. And I've been into private schools. and Thankfully, one of the teachers took pictures because I was like, I've got to do that. And you have to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's promotion social media this is like a, for me it's a big thing having to post and sit and think well, i am actually knackered but I've got to write about children's mental health week which is really important to me uh, we're
0: going to so... do a month we're going to do a month on because I think <laughs> it causes a lot of stress advertising and marketing and so that's it's all it's always a crossover and if people are feeling that the advertising and marketing is is filling up their bucket how do you look at it you said emptying the bucket didn't you
1: yeah yeah yeah. So, yeah, how... emptying the bucket then that's
0: something you could adjust
1: isn't it what other self-care do you need you know it's mm-hmm. like right okay i'm gonna do some social media and then i'm gonna go for a walk or something like that i go for thank a
0: right magnificent um as always people who did join us live thank you so much brian Hartley, Catherine reimer and everybody else who shared your comments and um, just a shout out for Catherine reimer who um has um sta members will know but has said uh, she needed to take her business out of the equation to refocus on getting herself back on track to recalibrate and see what she can do um applause to you catherine i know you tried for so long to make it work um but it wasn't so i'm sure you'll be back because you know you're you're one of these natural givers aren't you you're very altruistic and you like helping people and seeing people get better so you're bound to be back one day but yeah as um james so eloquently says oxygen mask you've got to stick it on yourself first haven't you? you can't help other people if you're scrambling and you haven't got your own option mask sorted out. So yeah, um strength to you, Catherine. Well done on taking that decision. I'm sure it wasn't easy for you and that sensation you're laying down clients. But um good on you. Yeah. Good look after number one. Good look after number one. Right. So um and thank you for everyone listening to the podcast. We will if you listen to the podcast and you want to join in next week and be here in the community in the live lounge and ask questions, we will be back like I say. On February the 21st, uh, which will be episode 137, with Alistair Beverley of the LDPhysio.com, LD Standing for Learning Disability. And we'll be looking at the similarities, but also the important contrast and differences between mental health problems and learning disabilities. And then also probably touching on the difference again with learning difficulties, because they are very much different and they can obviously intertwine. And we'll, I'm sure we'll be seeing how people with learning disabilities suffer have an elevated chance of suffering from uh, mental health problems as well but it's not the same thing and we have all sorts of problems with um, overshadowing diagnosis and things and we'll be talking about that next week. But as far as today goes, um, thanks again James Chapman from All About The Mind, really appreciate your time. friend. Great, James.
1: Thank you, thank you for everyone there and everyone who's commented and listened
0: right i'm gonna shut the live down now james if you can hang around don't press any buttons i'll say thank you again once we're off the air but yeah thanks very much everyone for joining us live and if you'd like to come next week then eight o'clock on the sports therapy association youtube channel take care of each other and yourself you're listening to the sports therapy association podcast putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy